for the record, is a derivative, non-canonical, fan-made project derived from the Magnus Archives, an original horror podcast which is created and distributed by Rusty Quill Limited. For the record is not endorsed by Rusty Quill Limited and is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 4.0 International Licence. For more information about the original source material, visit www.rustyquill.com forward slash the Magnus Archives. For the Record, Episode 14, Flycatcher. Statement of Lieutenant Joseph Griffiths regarding... Oh, for goodness sake. Hello, Welsh Institute of Paranormal Affairs. Hi, could I speak to archivist Levelyn Jones? It's regarding a statement I need to cross-reference Before you with. go on, can I just check? Did you want to speak to Emmeline Wetland jones or Rhys Wetland jones Oh. Emmeline? Yeah, you won the Manchester office. This is Cardiff. Don't worry, happens all the time. I think my details are mixed up with his on a web page somewhere. Anyway, I've got her info from the last time. I can email it to you. Sure. It's uh, eniku.farkash at chad.hu. That's uh, E-N-I-K-O dot F-A-R-K-A-S at C-S-A-T-H dot H-U. Uh, sorry for the inconvenience. No worries. Like I said, it happens a lot. Hungry, eh? Yes, I'm from the chat Kudatointezet. I didn't know there was an office in Hungary. Sure, we've been around since uh, 1990, but there were other organizations before that with different names. Some of our statements go back to the War of Independence in 1848. Gosh, that is interesting. Okay, there you go. I send you the information for the Manchester office. Thank you very much. No worries, glad to help. Goodbye. Bye. They seemed nice, didn't they, Fred? Anyway, where was I? Statement of Lieutenant Joseph Griffiths regarding a book rescued, stolen, from the library of the Hanlin Academy, Beijing, before its destruction. Compiled from a series of letters to his friend Richard Lewis between 1901 and most likely 1903. Audio recording by Rhys Llewellyn-Jones, Archival Assistant, Sevedli Admaterian Paranormal Cymru, Welsh Institute of Paranormal Affairs. Dechroiad a Datsganiad, statement begins. November 1901, Tianjin. My dear Richard, I am sorry you have not heard from me in so long, and I hope you did not think me dead. I took a wound in the relief of the seat of the legations in Peking, 
and it took bad, so I was laid up for some time recovering. One of the boxers caught me in the back with a sword cut while I was lining up a shot. At least, I think it was one of them, for the little devil was gone before I could see for sure. I am never at all certain on which side the Chinese are from day to day, for their empress seems to change allegiances as her whim dictates, and there seem to be half a dozen different factions, all at odds with each other, from what the senior officers say. It has been a very bad business in China, as I am sure you have read in the papers. First we had to fight our way inland to take Jianjin, then we were boiled, starved, eaten by infernal insects, and without water all the way to Peking. Once we got there, the walls were breached with surprising ease, although you will be amused to hear the French got lost, and the Americans decided they preferred to climb rather than take a defended gate. It was some Sikhs got through first, I heard, although I missed that part, I am afraid. But you will have certainly read all that in the papers. I am sorry to say it was a very much worse situation after that. I am ashamed of the behaviour not only of my men, but of my fellow officers. If you share my letter with your family, do not read this part to your sisters. There was looting, and wanton violence, and worse cruelties yet that I will not speak of. They are usually a good lot, the men. The worst I would expect of them is a little drunkenness, or fighting, or perhaps that time Private Hoyle Williams was bitten when he tried to steal the regimental Kashmiri goat for a jape. They have run mad, frankly, and I am not certain it is not the influence of some of the foreign soldiers we are allied with that has encouraged them in this behaviour. I was in no state to prevent it until recently, and I will regret that to my dying day. I had made friends with an American officer, I will not now name him, but any affection I had for him has died in my heart after I saw him laugh and run a civilian through with his bayonet. Nor was he the only officer I saw behave so. British, Russian, French, Japanese, all behaved the same. I imagine I only saw nothing of it from the other Europeans because there are less of them with us. It sickens me to the stomach, Richard. Perhaps father was right, and I am indeed too lily-livered for the army. But I cannot believe that any of this is right or godly. I know there are some of my fellow officers who have used this awfulness to make themselves rich, buying up stolen treasures from men who have no idea of their worth. Even now, there are auctions going on all over Tianjin, and I have been encouraged to do the same by men who I am sure are judging me for my Christian sensibilities and morality. To make them leave me alone, I attended one auction, partly because the goods for sale were not shiny baubles, and mostly to make Edwin Brown, or Brown Noser as we call him, leave me be. He is an odious English wretch who insists on trying to be chummy with me, but I am sure speaks about me poorly behind my back, as he speaks poorly about others to me. Men who do so do not confine such behaviour to only one of their acquaintances. The great house of learning known as the Hanlin Academy was fired during the siege to try and flush out the brave defenders. I am told by a regiment of Chinese Muslims under the command of Tung Fu Xiang. The auction I attended was for some of the books that had been rescued from the flames. I have no love of earthly treasure, for as Matthew chapter 6 verse 90 to 20 warns us, you cannot take it with you. The thought of such treasures of the mind, though, being poured over by people who might keep them as curios, or worse, use them for firelighting or wiping their asses, filled me with such horror, Richard. I spent what little I had on several books most of which I expect I will not be able to read. One of the missionaries who attended to my spiritual health when I was recovering, Per Adrian, is fluent in Chinese, and was able to at least translate the titles for me, with help from one of the officers of the Chinese regiment here, who I understand joined us to fight against the boxers. 
There is one book for which I have a particular fondness, perhaps something closer to war, for it is particularly finely illustrated. The bidding for it was hard, as I think some of the illustrations been done in gold leaf. The name is apparently difficult to translate into English. It is something close to Nine Tenets of the Celestial Flycatcher. Per Adrian believes it to be a courtly manual, detailing how to advance in the Chinese Imperial Civil Service, although he cannot tell what period of their history it is from. When I look through its pages, I find myself strangely engrossed in it, despite my inability to read the language therein. I am glad to have been able to rescue such a precious volume from Philistines and looters. There is talk of us being sent to India. It cannot come soon enough. I will be glad if I never set foot in China again. Now I must leave off, or be late for mess. Please give my regards to your mother and father, and kisses to Catherine and Ellen. Ever your affectionate friend, Joseph. March 1902, Chakrata My dear Richard, I write in a good mood today. We have been ensconced at the Chakrata cantonment in the region of Jansar for some months now, and I am finding the climate bracing and much different to the heat of the plains. The men seem happier too. I think perhaps we have been sent up here by the top brass as a sort of recuperation from the horrors of China, and if so, I thank them for it. The hills here remind me greatly of Snowdonia, High and cool, covered in oak on the lower reaches, and spruce and pine higher up towards the Himalayas. On a clear day, and from the right places, you can see all the way up to the top of the world. The fusiliers are not the only ones up here as well. The Shivadic foothills are thought to be a good place to convalesce. There are a good many soldiers here who have come after being sick in the heat, and the dirt of the plains below. A few days' walk away, there is a particularly high waterfall, the Tiger Falls, whose towering beauty I cannot describe in simple words and which photography does not do justice to. I wish I had skill in painting, so I could send you a depiction. But even that, I think, could not reflect it truly. Fusilier Billy, the goat, seems happy for looking in the land of his ancestors as well. It would seem almost a paradise after the last year we have endured, were it not for the lack of good company. The cantonment permits no bungalows to be built for civilians, so there is not much in the way of society, apart from the other officers. If I want a decent conversation, I am forced to resort to them, which of course means the odious brown-noser. Furthermore, a great many of the Jansaris are growing opium, and I have had to forbid some of the men from visiting nearby villages, lest they pick up the habit. I had to haul a pair of privates from out of an opium den down the valley last week, which I am certain brown has quietly briefed Captain Roberts about behind my back. I have been passing my quiet hours examining the books I wrote you off. I have less worries for their integrity in this climate, but I am treating them with the care and respect due to such wonderful objects. I cannot hope to learn enough Chinese to read them, but I can certainly enjoy the illustrations. One has a series of poignant depictions of landscapes and sketches of people and trees, but I am unsure if it is a drawing manual or a gardening book. The quarterly manual is very diverting. Actually, if I were to be honest, Richard, it is both captivating and a little discomforting. I find myself returning to it often, trying to ascertain why looking at it leaves me so. I think perhaps it is the final illustration in particular. It must definitely be the illustrations that inspire me so, because I have little understanding of the words other than the odd familiar character. The book is quite small. I cannot remember if I have told you that before. So the illustrations must have been painted with an exquisitely tiny brush. They are a series of odd, almost comical scenes in a story where the characters depicted are not human, but instead various kinds of birds. 
I think I can see a pheasant, a partridge. There is certainly a crane or some similar bird with long legs. The primary character is a little blue Chinese flycatcher. In the first image, he seems bright and cheerful, going about his business working in an office of some sort. He engages with the other birds as he carries on with his day. In another panel, he is talking to a sparrow, who he seems not to be very fond of. The scenes become more unhappy as one progresses through the book. We see the sparrow chattering with the noble-looking swan, and the flycatcher hiding behind a wall to listen in. There are various scenes of the flycatcher talking to other birds, then of the sparrow being taken somewhere in a coffle by an official-looking ptarmigan, while the flycatcher looks on, rubbing his wings together in glee. Then the flycatcher is seen alone in a shadowy room looking angry. In the final illustration, the sparrow lies in a pool of blood on the floor of a cell, with something in his back, and the flycatcher lies dead in the snow at the bottom of a cliff. Can you see why it is so affecting, this little book? It disturbs me, and yet I return to it so often in curiosity. I should put it away, but there is not much to do during our recuperation, other than perpetual drilling, and ensuring Private Williams does not disgrace himself by turning up intoxicated to patrol, and reduce the good opinion I am trying to foster in this regiment yet further. Your affectionate friend, Joseph. Undated note. Richard, a very short note to you, in lieu of a visit soon, for I have been sent home for a while, and may get a chance to pay a call on you and yours. Before then, there is a matter I must attend to, though. Brown has crossed me for the last time. Your friend, Joseph. To weather that Garniard, statement ends. <sighs> Crikey. The last one was barely legible. Poor Joe must have been pretty far gone down the old fear hole. As so often happens with these oldest bulls, I'm sorry, earlier statements, it was difficult to corroborate many of the details. I could confirm the movements of Griffiths' regiment. They did indeed serve in China and India. I couldn't find any further information online. Shameful lack of accessibility to our military history, isn't it? I phoned the Royal Welsh Fusiliers Regimental Museum, and the nice gent I spoke to there said there might be more in their archives. An all-expenses-paid trip to sunny Carnarvon revealed they did indeed have several hefty tomes of records from the period in the museum at the castle. Many of the regimental records were in Welsh, which was a bit of a pain, because I got a D in my Welsh GCSE, didn't I? But I did find the following the records of the 2nd Battalion. Lieutenant Joseph Griffiths, lately of Wrexham, dishonourable discharge, murder of a fellow officer. A note in the margin at the bottom of the page, further recorded, believed to be related to brain fever, deceased 1904. Poor old Joe, eh? Anyway, that's all I could find on him. I had a good hunt for the old flycatcher book itself, starting with whether it was in any of the artefact storage sites. Head office don't seem to have it, nor do Manchester or Dublin. Nobody else responded to my email, so I suppose it could be in Canada, or New York, or even back in China. Should have asked the Hungarian while they were on the phone. Anyway, we probably haven't got it. Robbie, down in Artifact Storage, checked with his usual sources for information, whatever they are, and a book with a matching or a similar name was auctioned off twice that he could find records of. First time was in the 1950s, when an auction house had later closed. The auctioneer who was handling it, who apparently could read King Dynasty official Mandarin, was admitted to a mental hospital after becoming violent towards one of his colleagues. The final record of sale is in 1990 to a purchaser named George Clough. 
Robbie said this name may have been a pseudonym. As the purchase was by a shell company, he thinks he's seen buying similar volumes before. A lot of interesting books fell off the record in the 1990s. Apparently. To where the record yet? Recording ends. Yeah, I saw her last weekend. She seems fine. Oh, ma'am, I meant to tell you thanks for getting me this job here. It's brilliant. Like being a detective. But you're in a horror story. I'm having an absolute time. Yeah. Anyway, i got to go. I'm on the clock. I'll see you and Dar for lunch on Sunday, alright? Give Mammy a hug for me. Yeah, don't worry, I'm kidding. I know you're not suicidal. <laughs> see you. Okay, bye. And why that I could have sworn I turned that off. episode before the record was written, directed, edited and produced by Lou Sutcliffe. It starred Pentel as Enikur Farkas, who was also Hungarian script consultant, and Lou Sutcliffe as Lisa Allen Jones. It used sounds from freesounds.org under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial License. For full accreditation, see the show notes. To be kept up to date on new episodes, submit your statement, or to get involved in production, you can follow us on Twitter at FTRecordPod, on Tumblr at ForTheRecordPod, or view our website at ForTheRecordPodcast.co.uk. Stay safe, take care, and watch your back.